Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog coming at you from the bright lights of the City of Angels. And my guest today is all too familiar with L.A. and Tinseltown as he's photographed several celebrities, including two U.S. presidents, two knights, a host of famous musicians, producers, writers, actors, politicians, and what he likes to call everyday hardworking people. And he is none other than Alan Clark. Now, Alan is widely recognized as one of the best photographers in the country. His work can be seen on music packaging, magazines, and countless celebrity and Fortune 500 company websites. And he's been published everywhere from the Washington Post, Forbes, Discovery Magazine, People, Shape, Time, Wire, Rolling Stone, Mojo, The Telegraph, just to name a few. And he's worked with all the major celebrities from Cal Ripken Jr., Ethan Hawke, George Bush Sr., and Jr., Paint Manning, Rick Ross. The list goes on and on. And his corporate clients include NFL, MLB, Puma, Reebok, Time Life, 20th Century Fox, Sony Music Group, just to name a few. Alan, it is great to have you. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thanks. So super glad to be here, man. You know, if I rattled off all those names, we'd have been here forever, man. You have the biggest Rolodex I've ever seen. It's so impressive. And I can only imagine a nice Southern boy like you getting off the bus in Hollywood, like Axl Rose in the Welcome to the Jungle video with the sprig of straw in your teeth. Man, did you start out your career in you know Tennessee or in the South, or was it just straight to LA for, that you went? Well, I'm all over the place, actually. I still keep a house in Nashville and just was... And for like the last four or five years, I was living in Europe too. My ex uh, wife uh, is from Estonia. So I've been literally been, <laughs> I've been, wow. I don't think I've stopped moving yet. And that's kind of how this has been this whole time. I've done this. And it's interesting, you know, from Nashville, just, you know, I'm friends with tons of musicians. And one of our things that we'd all sit around and ask each other is, you know, how long are you going for this year? And it was, you know, hey, I'm, out, I'm we're doing 320 dates. That's, the most I've ever heard. And that's, you know, sometimes two in a night and stuff like that. So we, that's the kind of comparison measure, measuring stick you have when you're a touring band or a musician or whatever. And so I think my average up until like everybody else last year uh, was around 160 to 240, 250, something like that. So I was kind of living the life on the road, much like my musician friends. It's awesome. I can only imagine the communication issues between a Tennessee boy and an Estonia woman. <laughs> that was, you know what? Uh, everyone in that part of Europe, like the Scandinavian part of Europe, speaks almost perfect English. And and I have to tell her, I had to tell her sometimes I'd be like, you know what? Your English isn't that bad because they're real self-conscious about it. And I'm like, uh, so I'm from Tennessee and I, the people from lower parts of Tennessee or any part in the country, I can't understand what they're saying. So I'm just like, you're doing way better than those guys. Because <laughs> I couldn't understand half of what they were saying. Some of these people from the stick, sometimes it's like that. But you know wow. what? They have that everywhere. It's like that everywhere, man. You go to Brooklyn, it's the same thing. If you're, you know, uh, in the Midwest, you know, you've got the nasal stuff coming from, you know, Chicago over to Fargo. <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere I go, there's always somebody that I can't understand. You know what I mean? So for the next wife, are you looking in the US or are you still going to stick to Europe? It depends on how much they cost. That is a joke. That is a joke. <laughs> You've been watching that, that 90 not, Day Fiance, huh? <laughs> that is not real. This is all fake. No, and yeah, you know what, man? I'm just kind of like now I'm just taking a break. I'm just like doing my thing, getting back into career. Started my own podcast like last year, kind of putting into that, doing a lot of coaching and stuff like that. You know, a lot of us have had to, you know, make up for whatever our loss was from the COVID. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you're a company, 
you pay people for this. You're looking at you know third quarter losses and that type of stuff. And for the and entrepreneurs and if people are in business for themselves, we don't have people looking out for us. So we have to figure this stuff out on our own. For instance, editorial is gone for me. So many like sectors of business that used to be there just aren't there. And so you have to figure out how can I pivot? What can I do to pivot? And is it going to take me away from being me? Such a great point. I mean, you really think about it. You're right. A lot of the stuff that you do kind of went to the wayside. And I know that you have such an awesome portfolio and client list. How did you get your start? How did how did this photography bug, how did it bite? Where, where did you get started? Honestly, it came from me just kind of leaning on my musician friends and you know friends in the Nashville community when I was first starting out. I knew it's it's sad, but you know Americans are obsessed with celebrity and it seems like no matter how great your photos would be until you stick someone in there that another person recognizes recognizes, then you're not going to have any relational content for them. They're not going to be able to look at that and go, mm, I love that photograph of that, you know, guitar pick on the nightstand next to a guitar case. That's amazing. But the second you throw Dave Matthews in there, they're like, Oh, I love Dave Matthews. But you know, so it's always, it just changes the dynamic almost immediately. And I knew that going in, I knew that I was going to have to have people that people recognized so they could just relate to the portfolio because you got to remember, I started this over 28 years ago. And so as much as I love people and their artistic integrity and things like that, that we have now because of Pinterest, you know, where we're able to kind of recognize what good photography is, you know, because of Instagram and social media, 28 years ago, people just didn't have that. So we had to, man, it was tough. It was a tougher, you know, the, the barrier for entry was a lot higher back then than it is now. No, I can imagine how expensive was it to get started? I know there's really high end cameras are extremely expensive, was this something where you had to save up to do it or you were just able to get in early and then, you know, kind of scale from there? That is actually a wonderful question. And I tell this because it still is the same thing that you would be today. And that like you, just, you know, I, I bring up Barry of entry and that's kind of like the perfect place to start this conversation because the big thing that's changed from then till now is the barrier of entry once again. And that is because you don't need much to get started now. You know, you, you know, camera costs this. Sure. You need a decent one. You know, lens costs this. Sure. You need a decent one. Uh, lighting is a lot less than it used to be. Uh, I used to pay, I think for like my last pro photo setup was an acute 2R and that, that whole setup was around 15 to 20,000. But, uh, but I had, you know, two, three, four systems and then one that would be a battery operated one. So, Dude, it just starts ching, ching, you know, starts adding up after a yeah. while. But back then, you're right, man. It was so hard to get in. The barrier of entry was so much higher because of the money you had to have, the skills you had to have, all the stuff that we had to know how to do, exposing film the right way. If you wanted to develop color, it was a nightmare, man. Like this tank has to be 78.3 degrees. This one has to be 81.5. This one has to be, it was just like just crazy amount of skill that you had to have to even be able to exist back then. And then money was a huge part of it. So you're right. It was really expensive to get into it back then. So you really and had now, to be committed. You really did. And I used to tell my friends, try heroin. It's a lot cheaper. <laughs> what, what do you think is joke. the key? That was also a joke. <laughs> no one should try heroin. I've heard it's not good for you. Yeah, no, definitely not. But you can lose a lot of weight though. That's, that's one Yeah, uh, Yeah, one it's like cigarettes and coffee. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think in your, your mind is the key to a great photo? Man, that is that is a tough one. A lot of people ask me this question a lot because everyone wants to know. The problem is, is that everyone's perspective is different and the things that you like are always different. So every individual likes something different. But to me, 
you know, honestly, it gets down to this. If let's say the room that you're in right now, if that were a gallery instead of the room that you're in right now, if it's the bedroom, if it's an office, if it's a studio, if it's, you know what I'm saying? If you're in a gallery and there's four walls, what are the photos that are going to make you stop and look? Because ultimately that's, that's the main thing. That is what makes us all be affected by photography is what makes me stop? What makes me look where, what, what, what photo am I going to spend some time on? And it's different for everybody. One guy, you know, loves the depth and the layering and the next one loves the tone or color. And the other, this one loves, you know, the way light is falling onto stuff. This one loves action and all that type of thing. But what makes you stop? Even if you don't really necessarily relate to it or like it, it's still going to make you stop if it's a great photo. And that's kind of how I treat it because you could get lost in words like rule of thirds and composition and all the things you hear, all these terms you hear. But what makes you stop? What makes you stare? No, I love that. And it is, like you said, it's all subjective, right? One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? You never know. It can be, but nobody wants to recognize the trash. <laughs> nobody wants point. to say, man, this is gross. This Or this just didn't work. Or, you know, a friend of mine always says, this is unrealized. A really famous photographer named Sam Abel, whom I've, you know, taken workshops with. And a lot of us have. He, you know, he worked for Nat Geo for over 30 years and that's the thing that he talks about. What makes this photo? And so that actually, the, the phrase fully realized is a great phrase because you could literally be shooting anything, sports, action, portrait. And if the portrait or the sports photo or whatever it is isn't fully realized, meaning if you didn't take that all the way out and to its nth degree and to its most intensity and you know what I mean? Like if you didn't play that out all the way, you missed an opportunity. You missed the shot at getting a great image. No, absolutely. Now, as far as the business side goes, is it feast or famine in the beginning? Like, how do you break into the business? Uh, the best thing you could do is marry someone with a job. Oh, that was a joke. <laughs> um, but you get it. You know what I mean? You kind of have to be you, you have, almost like, you know, how, how everyone's always saying, hey, build up your expenses, you know, three to six months, you know, have all your stuff. You know, kind of like if you needed to dip into it, you could if you needed to pay rent or you need to pay that or whatever. I mean, that would be a great plan, but that's not how life works, is it? So, you know, you can plan all you want, but when it gets down to it, taking that leap, taking that that first leap is always the most terrifying step that you can take. And sometimes you're doing it without a net, i.e. no money. Or sometimes you're doing it with money, so it's a little less scary, but you're still jumping off a building or you're jumping off the trapeze or whatever it is you're jumping off of, a cliff. You're still falling. You're still jumping. There's still that act that happens. So to me, it's like you have to kind of, you can prep all you want, but if you, if you just take the jump and the leap, that's great, you know, but you do need strategy when you do it. You got to think your, your way through it. You've got to kind of plan, you know, okay. For instance, a lot of people don't think about this, but people always think you have to either be, okay, this is what I'm going to do for my career. And this is what I'm going to do for business. People, for some strange reason, don't connect the fact that you can, have some strategy about just getting out there and making money, but the whole time be building your book towards something that you really want to do and who you really want to be. They think you can only do one or the other. That's just not true. You can actually do things to make you money. In other words, you can say, Hey, I'd rather be shooting a wedding than digging a ditch. I'd rather be shooting some family members or, you know what I mean? Or family and photos for somebody than working at Burger King. You can think like that. And if you can accept those terms, the whole time you can be working on, you know, that arty photo that you really love, that's really you, or maybe there's an industry like music or an industry like uh, fashion or something that you really want to be doing, but you just have nothing, you have nothing to show for it. 
you got to be building both. You got to be able to be building a career that sustains you because they're, I mean, look at all the equipment, even though it's still cheaper than it used to be, you still got to buy lenses and cameras and lighting and backdrops and promote yourself and, you know, do all that type of stuff to kind of keep your business flowing. So accept the fact that you may have to do some things and more things than you want. What you can do is live your life in a way that as you progress towards your career, towards the thing you love, you're, you're taking out the things that you don't want to do anymore. You say no to this, you say no to that. But to think that you can't do those and connect those is crazy. You can do both and they can run parallel. That's great. That's great. Now, how did you land your first celebrity shoe? We'd love to hear about that. Building up local celebrities. So the first thing I started doing was just shooting friends, photographing friends that were playing with bigger bands, you know, uh, this musician, that guitar player, that drummer, that local guy that low, you know, the, maybe it's not the mayor, but it's the vice mayor, just doing jobs for magazines and doing jobs for musicians that played with bigger musicians, more famous musicians. And you just kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like what they say when, when they tell you in sales, start with your family and friends. It's the same thing. Start with your family and friends. And also just kind of build into that strategic moves. Like for instance, if your friend happens to play for Keith Urban, which one of mine does, I shoot this person, photograph this person. And I know that maybe he'll show them to Keith. So you have to think like that. You have to think what's my build. Now you're doing something for your friend at the same time, but because he's so proud of the stuff and knock it out of the dead gum park, if you can, then that's going to woo somebody else. And if he's proud of it, then he's showing all the people in the band, including Keith Urban or whoever, you know, I've just brought Keith up as an example, but you get what I'm saying. Every time you get an opportunity, every one of those better be out of the park because you just don't know who's looking at it on the other end. No, absolutely. I agree hundred percent. Who was your favorite celebrity to work with out of all of them? Cause there's been so many, I know it's probably hard to answer that question. I think personally for me, like people always ask me that one too. And, and I, the producer of all the Beatles records was a guy named George uh, Martin. George, absolutely. And yeah. so it was, uh, what year was that? It was 98. And he had made a record that was kind of signifying the end of his career because his hearing was his hearing losses got had gotten so bad that he couldn't really work in the studio as a producer anymore. He had trained his son Giles to take over for him, and that that process had already started. Giles and he had already worked were working on the uh, Vegas Love. It's not a play; it's a music. It's kind of a musical, but it's really an experience, really. And it's, I believe it's very close to the Bellagio, but it's an amazing experience if you can ever go see that go see it but he had started the production on that and then giles had to finish it off but george martin was the producer of all the beatles records and in my opinion was truly the fifth beetle uh they've always said billy preston was because he physically always he played on the let it be record right he played on a couple of he played on the record and he played piano on one record that doesn't make you a beetle the guy <laughs> right. that's there the, the guy that's there the whole time the guy that wrote the strings for eleanor rigby the guy that would take all the arrangements no matter how crazy they were because if you ever heard if you ever heard John Lennon's original version of Strawberry Fields, it was on guitar and it was horrible. And he brought it in. George polished it up, had him switch over to Mellotron, which is this old kind of a looping thing. But they did it out of real tape and real sounds, like real vocal Oz, real strings, all this type of stuff. And George is the one that suggested putting it on Mellotron. But he was truly there the whole time, writing, arranging, uh, getting these ideas, uh, facilitating for the for the Beatles themselves, mainly, you know, John and Paul and a little bit of George. And it was, he was an amazing facilitator. And I don't know, just something about working with the guy that worked with the Beatles was always something that meant a lot to me because he did the same thing for me during the shoot. I would have an idea. I would bounce it off of him and he would, he would go, what if we did this? 
And it, we, I think we photographed over a five to six hour period. And he, at one point he called me clever clogs and I thought I was going to pass out. That is so cool. And it just, you know, just you're, you're working on something, you're collaborating with someone and, and then he respects you enough to like your ideas and say, you know, what if we did this, tweak your idea a little bit. That's what he, that's who he was. And he did that yep. with the Beatles and he did that with me. And to me, that's not, that's not bad, bad ground to be standing on, you know, sharing with. <laughs> no, no, that's amazing. That's so awesome. What do you, what do you think is the most different or unique shoot you've ever been a part of? There's been some strange ones. I remember getting, <laughs> I mean, really, really strange ones. Uh, there was a photo shoot that I had to do of a musician who had passed away. He was in a band. There's a band called Government Mule. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know who those guys are. They yeah, have yeah, yeah. rotating and, members. Yeah. And early on, one of their members died and I was hired by a guitar magazine to go photograph his grave. Wow. That was weird. That was really weird. And he was in a mausoleum, you know, type of thing. And I had to go up and, and people I kept were staring. I know they were staring at me as I was doing this and I was just, I felt so uncomfortable, but it was actually really close to my house. So it wasn't that it was, so I kind of went back a couple of times just to, cause it's hard to kind of get over yourself and get over the situation. You're in a graveyard, <laughs> you know, you know, a lot of us do this actually. You're like when you're young, you're like, I'm going to go hang out in the graveyard. You know, you're doing that as your goth, <laughs> right. your goth ish, you know, your goth thing that you're doing towards your parents. But I just kind of went back a couple of times and tried it a couple of times. And then finally just kind of felt good about some things I did, you know, uh, lucky for me, the, I, I went back at a couple of different times of the day and just tried to do, tried to play with the sunlight across the, the headstone and all that kind of weirdness and did the best I could. But that, that literally is one of the weirdest, most unique photo shoots I've ever done. And I did another one where I had to do a crime scene complete with detectives, crime scene tape, body bags. I mean, it was really intense. And that was for a magazine because a lot of times when you look in these magazines, when you're looking at stuff, you're looking at doesn't matter. Even if it's television show stuff, somebody's got to be doing that. Somebody's got to collect all those visuals together and present that to you. And it just looks normal when you're looking at it. You're, you're looking at the billboard, you're looking at the ad, you're looking at the, you know, the background for Netflix or whatever. And somebody's going to do that. And that's me. And so I'm having to do all this weird <laughs> collection of stuff. Like it makes you a, um, like MacGyver kind of person, you know, it <laughs> makes you have to kind of make things work like for this, uh, this week I've got a photo shoot in Jacksonville, Florida, and I've got to go down there and it's a doctor and the way they want to do it is like those old school, uh, scrubs. So we're trying to hunt scrubs down. That ends up being the biggest problem we got. It wasn't the scheduling, wasn't the flights trying to make all these producers, all these people congregate in the same place. It was the scrubs. They've been looking for scrubs now for three days straight. It's just crazy, you know? So it's always something like that. It's always a prop or something odd because you know, you've got to, got to make it work, you know, and sometimes it's down to things that don't exist anymore. Nobody wears scrubs like that anymore. Now it's all, right. stuff, so it's all disposable now, you know, so they had to hunt that stuff forever. That's interesting. I'll tell you now, are celebrities really self-conscious? I've heard stories about this where, you know, they want to control the shoot and constantly check your work to make sure it meets your standards. They have handlers that are always paranoid about how they're looking. Have you experienced that or has it mostly been smooth sailing? hundred percent. And it's probably my I wouldn't say it's the bane of my existence, but it's not, not the bane of my existence, but it's always, you know, there's an email thread about Nicole Kidman's shoes. That's 30 emails long. Wow. Uh, there's likeness releases that you have to sign now because now, you know, the different celebrities want to be able to approve some of the images used and they have basically something writing that, you know what, they, 
sometimes it works. Sometimes those things don't work uh, just because you can't attach a likeness release, no matter who you are, no matter how famous you are to a copyright infringement type of law. So, you know what I mean? They can, it goes so far, but people just, you know, that if you have somebody sign an NDA or do something like sign a piece of paper that says, I need your approval first. It always tries to put the fear. They try to put the fear of God in you by doing that type of stuff. And (laughs) I've had to deal with so many corporations and celebrities and people where, you know, honestly, I'll just, let me just say this to everyone listening right now as a content creator, as a creator of anything, a copyright, you know, type of thing, something that's protected by the government in the United States. uh, You actually have the power. You've got the power here. All of us do. Everyone that's got the power when it comes to creating something. Uh, Some of those things are dwindling. Some of those things have been challenged recently. LeBron James countersued a photographer because LeBron used an image of his without his permission. And then LeBron trying to countersue because he's saying my likeness was used when not my permission. So some of these things are dwindling. Sometimes it is a case of who's got more money, but copyright law is still there to protect the little man or the everyman, or the normal man, or woman, or whoever, and that's in place. And so there's a lot of things you can't do. I used to say copyright law was the easiest to, to win, because it used to be, and it's becoming a little more difficult. There's a case going on right now with a friend of mine and another famous person where he photographed somebody 20 years ago, and this person that's famous is a tattoo artist and used it on a tattoo. And Oh, wow. My friend is going after and he's got the right to do it but he's been attacked maliciously by all her fans and it's pretty nasty but you know when the, when the dust settles my friend is going to win because uh, copyright law is very well protected and anybody creating thing you're the one that has the leverage here not the person violating your copyright it's right. you so people just don't realize how much power they have so what, what does that mean to anyone that's long, young shooting, you know, a photographer, or a painter, anybody that's creating content, something, somebody that's doing anything that's like that. You're the one that has the power. Always know that if you have any questions about any of this, you can always DM me or get in touch with me. And I've got friends that take care of this type of stuff. So people, I think just get bullied. They don't realize that with copyright, especially when your cr- creators are the ones getting bullied now um, in one form or the other. I remember when they asked Bill Gates, when Y2K flipped, they asked him, what's going to be the commodity of the future? And he said, intellectual property. That was his, that was his one answer. That's the only thing he said. And he, that wow. he could not have been more true. And that's, you got to remember, he said that 99 is 99 flipped into 2000. That was one of the questions. For the next century, what will be the, the main thing that's going to be the commodity of the future? And that's what he said. It was an amazing statement. He could not have nailed it any harder than that. Yeah, imagine what TMZ has to go through. You've, you've not lived until you've had a celebrity yelling at you and smashing your camera, right? <laughs> yeah, you haven't. That happened years ago in Nashville at the Maxwell House Hotel. I can't remember who the photographer was, but this is when Sean Penn and Madonna were dating. Oh, yeah. And that was a real famous case. It actually went to really high court, and I think they ended up settling. But I think Sean took the guy's camera and beat him with it. Yeah, crazy stuff, right? I mean, yeah. that's the it business happens. you chose, right? The life you chose. It's funny with celebrities. They want to be... They have this anonymous, you know, anonymous life, you know, want to go out to eat and everything. But then when people stop asking for autographs, that's when they start 
losing themselves and they want to chase people down to be famous again right so i guess you're, it's a weird thing for them to be like everyone look at me no one yeah. look at me <laughs> i know it's crazy right it's extreme it's extreme it's one way or the other and they want both they want the cake and they want to eat it that's exactly it who, who do you think in, in your mind when you know all the people you've worked with, who's the most difficult i know it may be tough to name names but if you could who is the most difficult you worked with no, I would sometimes go, they're all difficult. Uh, and that's not, not true. It's just, you know, who is the most it, difficult? It's, it's, it's the list that you get sent, you know, sometimes that's a tough question because I could give you five different people's names and they're all difficult. They were all difficult for one reason or the other. It's similar. I mean, people make fun of this all the time, but you remember the whole Van Halen thing about their writer having the no brown m and Yeah, Exactly. And it's kind of like that, man. Sometimes you get a list and they're like, I won't do this. And you get the things like, by the way, though, directly, you should don't look Google. directly into the person's eyes. I'm not kidding. That's yeah. a real thing. No, you should Google that though. By the way, the Brown M&M thing, they did an article in classic rock and why that was, there's actually a reason for it. It wasn't this crazy rock star excess. Well, it if I remember, a, I think I read it. It was because they weren't paying attention to the rest of the writer. Yeah. The audio engineer. And there was some, so there's a real in-depth story about it, but of course, Nobody's going to know that. And they're all going to think these guys are pompous rock stars. But yeah, I know it was funny. No, there's usually a reason for everything. I mean, I remember when I was working with Beyonce, there was the biggest note that we got was to not Blue Ivy. I think it was her child, Blue Ivy, was on tour with her. And the biggest note was to not engage Blue Ivy, even if she tried to engage you. Like, a don't look at her, don't try to talk to her or pick her up or anything like that. And of course, you know, that happened to me. And so I'm... Uh-oh. I think it's before Beyonce walked into the room and the way that Beyonce does things, a lot of big artists do this when you're shooting backstage or shooting at some massive arena or something like that. They set up a, the backstage area to look like home or to look like something that they feel comfortable with. I remember Elton John years and years ago on a shoot in Madison Square Garden, he uh, had his two backstage areas that he was using for green rooms or after parties look like a 50s diner. So he spent all this money on bringing in a jukebox, had people working there that looked like they were going to make you a milkshake, like soda jerk kind of guys and girls and stuff like that. And <laughs> I mean, they all do a thing. They all have a thing, you know? And I think when uh, Beyonce was in Nashville, this was for, uh, for something for soul pancake with rain Wilson and um, a friend of mine who created the character called kid president. Oh yeah. And so it was between Beyonce we had to do an interview between Beyonce and Kid President for the United Nations uh, World Humanitarian Day, I believe is what it was. And Blue Ivy just walks up to me, looks me right in the face and starts talking to me. And I'm like, and I'm cornered. <laughs> I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. And so I was trapped and I tried to not do it. And finally, I just said, I think your mom went that way or something. I kind of tried to was leading her away from us because we're all trying to we had all this heavy equipment we're trying to <laughs> set up and it was just worrying me that she was there. And then eventually she just kind of, you know, walked off back to the main area that her mom was in. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, Beyonce walked in and it was amazing. And sometimes it's really not them. That's the difficult person that you're dealing with. It's their, like you said earlier, it's their handler, it's their uh, defense wall, it's their security, it's their publicist. It's, you know what I mean? Yep. It's a lot of different people and sometimes all of them and sometimes one of them. So it's, it's just, it's varied degrees, man. Some people are really difficult to work with. Like I remember um, Tony Levin, bass player for Yes, was also in King Crimson, and he played on all of the Peter Gabriel records. He played on all the Peter Gabriel records. So, so us, 
you know, all those amazing records. He played bass on those records and sometimes this thing called stick bass. Oh yeah. And I, we were shooting for musician magazine back when it was still around and I would just engage him. He wasn't mean or anything, but I would talk to him directly and he would not answer back. Wow. It was so strange. Like I would just say, so Tony, tell me a crazy story about touring with yes. I don't know. And it was on the 90215 tour or something like that. And he just literally told me some story about, he answered that one thing. That was the only thing he really did. But sometimes he would uh, just look at me and not even say anything back. (laughs) That was so weird. And I just remember thinking, he hates this. He hates, he doesn't hate me. He hates this. He hates the photo part of this, you know? And so at that point when he, after he told me that one story, it was like him. I think he was sick one night playing for yes. And he had a bucket. He brought a bucket on stage and just threw up into the bucket the whole night, the whole time that he played, he just sat there and kept playing, kept going and just was sick all night. That was the story. And I was like, all right, this is going (laughs) nowhere. And so, you know, eventually you just kind of have to just go, all right, this, I've got to do my job. I got to get past this moment. I got to push through. This guy's not helping. And he could have been having a bad day. You never know, man. You know, so sometimes people are difficult for many reasons. Sometimes they have people in front of them that make it difficult for you. But you know what? If any of this was easy, everybody would be doing it. No, it's true. I mean, they always say never never meet your heroes, right? Because, oh, man. you know, you might get let down and, you you know, you lose a, a fan that way. That who is 100% the easiest, true. Who do you think was easiest to work with? Do you have any anybody who was just a, a pleasure to work with that was completely different than the others? You'd be shocked. I thought I was going to, and this happened in the same week. So I was photographing, there's an artist named David Gray, whom I love. And then the, so that was Friday at the house of blues. And then I was supposed to photograph, um, in sync the day before. Oh, okay. And so, and it went from like huge to tiny shoot. So it was a big shoot and then a small shoot. And the big shoot was for Yamaha and it was, uh, at the Superdome, I guess. Is that the one in new Orleans? That's the one in new Orleans, right? Yep. Yep. And it was, so the, they had rented, NSYNC had rented Superdome for two and a half weeks for rehearsals. And that, that, that's crazy, first of all, but they drove me in on a golf cart and went to the soundboard and sitting at the soundboard were Justin Timberlake and one of the other guys from the band, I can't remember who it was, playing Need for Speed video game nice. on the Jumbotron. So they were like inside the Superdome where the Saints play. They were playing, playing video, video games. Game. <laughs> they were playing video <laughs> games on the Jumbotron. So that I get golf carted to that. And I, I remember our shoot was sandwiched between Rick D's at the time. You remember Rick D's, of course, oh, absolutely, being in LA. Yeah. So it, I, was sam- I, was, I was sandwiched between TRL on MTV and Rick D's. And our shoot was in the middle of those two. And so <laughs> I thought, oh boy, this is going to be real trouble. Nope. Could not have been nicer. Do you guys want anything? You guys need anything? All the guys in the band were like so nice, so accommodating. This is while Justin was still dating Brittany. Uh, she was actually there and surrounded by two giant NFL players who looked like manatees. <laughs> and so it, you know, it's just you're there and you expect it from them. But I think sometimes that when you're at a high, high level, it just depends on what your staff is like. So it, you know, for some reason they just wanted it to be fun. And I think, you know, some people can do it fun. Some people can do it professional. Some people can do it tense and no fun at all, but it's probably the most awesome thing you'll ever see. I mean, it just, it's just all over the place, you know? And I remember after we finished the shoot, they didn't have any time. They had to go to TRL and 
their chef had fixed them food and they asked us, do you want this stuff? We, we don't have time to eat it. And they gave us their food. The chef had prepared for them and just really cool. And that was such a surprise. And then for, straight to the next day, I'm shooting at the house of blues and David Gray was just the opposite. Wow. It's just like you said, it was just like the don't meet your heroes type of thing. It just, it was difficult. He didn't want to be there. They were giving him a piano. He just didn't really seem grateful for the piano. He was about to go on Jay Leno and he just didn't seem like we're giving you a piano. I would be like, are you kidding me? It was a like baby grand too. And he just wasn't very grateful for it. It just seemed like really, really hard, you know? And it's just, it's with this industry and any industry, it's all over the place, man. You know what I mean? It's the same. It's the same. There's always that difficult boss, always that lovely person that you wish was the head of the company that's not. <laughs> you know that's what I right. mean? That's true. <laughs> it's just all over the place. It's just people are strange, man. They are. They're just strange. And, and it's no, your absolutely. ability right, yeah. to deal with or be with people, you know, work with people, lead people. You know, it's awesome though. I love, you know, I read about the fact that you're granted exclusive access to photograph Julian Assange, right? And I'd love to know, how did it happen? What was it like? What was the experience like? It was um, weird. I'd never had had to live or be, had to learn about how to be private, how had to learn about how to protect myself, my email, my phone, my statements, you know, or, or, or had been any part of changing a news cycle, changing the way people looked at him. But previous to me being with Julian, everyone hated him. After I left, people started softening towards him. And it was because we had made a concerted effort to make him look human again. People had objectified him because they thought he was the enemy. The U.S. still thinks he's the enemy. Other countries think, think he's the enemy. And all Julian ever was about was open government. Now, that is a wonderful concept, open government. But there's a lot of governments who don't want to do that. A lot of governments who don't want you to see what they're doing, what they're saying, how they really are, how they have to take care of their business, how they have to do things sometimes that are not popular. And honestly, the politics involved, the deaths that happen because of it, the secrets, the spying, all that stuff. Countries don't want to let you see behind the curtain. And it's an, a wonderful concept, but to pull that off was really, really difficult. So he is both loved and hated. And, uh, you could feel the tension, you know, it always, sometimes I could see that he felt like he was truly alone uh, because, you know, he was fighting against everyone. He, heck, even like, I saw a television special where he, at the time, his own prime minister in Australia, he cornered her because she had given over um, private citizens information to the U S government. And he cornered her on that. He got, she got surprised on national television by him showing up to this television show that she was doing. And he showed up and, she had called him treasonous apparently in the, in the news in Australia. And he said, you know what? I, I didn't give private citizens information over to the U S government. So it's you ma'am who's treasonous and said that to her face on television. Wow. And so he did this to everyone. He just didn't do this just to America. He didn't protect, you know, anyone or help anyone. You know, he did he never had any political aspirations. There was never a, like, Everyone thought for sure that when he turned over Hillary Clinton's emails that he was, oh, then that makes him Republican. No, not at all. That was all because she worked for the State Department at the time when he, they tried to extradite him to Sweden. And she was behind getting the State Department to get Visa and MasterCharge to 
cancel his funding, you know, through and and his the reason that he was saying he showed me the letter and it was um they had said he was involved with illicit behavior and he turned around and went to the KKK's website and showed me that you could use Visa and MasterCard on their website. And he's like, they've actually been charged for this. I am just being asked for questioning. And so when you get to see behind the curtain like that, when you're part of the news cycle and it can affect stuff like that, you realize how fragile this ecosystem really truly is. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, definitely. Now the question is, was Pamela Anderson around this photo? Not at that point. Not at that point. She (laughs) came around later. She came around later when he, and he, after I left in 2012, and you know, well, and I would go back and visit and and talk. He, you never really talked to him. He always talked through someone else to him. And so he got mad at me for a little bit because I think he thought I made some money off of these photos that ran in Rolling Stone that I'd shot of him and and one of his security officers that had turned over some information to the FBI. He thought I made money, and I did, but it was only so like to him it would have been like three hundred pounds or two hundred pounds. And so I told someone to get the message to him, and, he, and I heard he laughed about it. That. Next time I'm over in England, I'll give you 250 pounds. Shut <laughs> up, I think is what I told him. So shut up. <laughs> and so the person told him that, and then I heard he cracked up about that. And he, it was kind of my way of no, letting him know, yeah, I owe you 250 pounds, you jerk. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly, so, right? Why? And I did. I made money off of that one photo for Rolling Stone. But I mean, in light of all the things I did for WikiLeaks, meaning I donated photos that were auctioned off at this big party, Vivian Westwood, and a lot of famous people in England, like Bianca Jagger bought the photos that then were able to, you know, donate back to WikiLeaks. And I was doing what I could to help him because U.S. State Department had shut his funding down. So I guess in that way I did help WikiLeaks, but I I honestly was there as a fly on the wall just to photograph everything. But outside of just donating a couple of photos that I really didn't do anything for them and just let them use some of the photos. But it, you know, I felt like the worldview towards him softened after I left. No, definitely. You had a big part in that. So amazing. Now, Alan, if you had to choose one celebrity or public figure to work with that you haven't worked with yet, who would that be? I don't know why, but I still either want to photograph Jean Reno, who was in... Yeah, the professional. Right. I, I just have always loved him. People have said at different times that I look a little bit like him, but it's not because that would mean I wanted to photograph myself. <laughs> but I, I don't care about that necessarily, but I just have always loved him as an actor. I don't know why other than I just love him. He's powerful. Like he was powerful in that movie. He was powerful in the big blue. Yeah, Ronan, right? Oh man, Ronan. He was amazing. And I'm glad you know all these because sometimes I have to explain this. Um, oh, I love it. But him or uh, Tom York from Radiohead. Yeah, that'd that's be cool. That's a personal challenge just because I know how much he hates getting his photograph made. Yeah, exactly. A personal challenge. And if anybody's up to the task, it would be you. I hope so. I think so. What? Uh, so, what projects are you working on currently? What's on the horizon for you here? So, I've still I've been working on this whole time. I've photographed most of the spacesuits belonging to most of the famous astronauts. So, I've got two left that are absolute musts. I've got to get. They were cleaning it when I went the last time to the Smithsonian to do it. Neil Armstrong, of course, and. I was able to get Buzz Aldrin's when I was there. I got a, and I honestly do need to get Michael Collins, but I I thought for a while I was going to have to go to Russia to do that. But where my ex uh, lives is in Estonia, which is right next to it, but still it's a 17 hour train ride. So uh, going from there to Moscow. So um, people just don't understand how big Russia really is. It's huge. So um, I got to do Michael Collins's suit, Armstrong suit, and Alan Shepard suit. And I've got everybody else. 
And there's a couple of interesting suits that I photographed. Like, for instance, people don't know this, but the only pair of father-son astronauts were from the United States. And one was on Skylab and the other was on the International Space Station. So I got those and I thought that was a really interesting take. And what a huge difference between those two spacesuits. But just, you know, everybody else, though, John Glenn, you know, the lat Gene Kernan, the very last man on the moon. Um, so, and you know what? Since we're going back to the moon, there's going to be, I'm sure, new suits to add to this but i've got it it's a, the whole piece i guess or series is around 17 18 pieces and i've got like three or four more to do including gene krantz uh mission control the main guy at mission control i think ed harris played him in apollo 13 and the guy with the white vest that, that i photographed his vest so i included him in that too as a spacesuit kind of photo which was really cool and so i've got all these different pieces i'm working on that and we'll continue to work on that uh, and the next thing is NFT. Have you been hearing about NFT? Do you know what NFT is? No. So they've come up with this new thing, and it's going to actually hopefully bring the power back to imagery, meaning the power back to stock imagery type of thing. So another, a lot of the images, what they're doing is they're minting photographs that will then go into what is Ethereum, which is a new form of like the blockchain. It's part of the blockchain. And so okay. you can assign an image to Ethereum and then people can bid on it like on eBay and it's their way to own original piece of artwork that is one of a kind. There's only one in the world and there'll only be one in the world ever. And so I'm, I'm thinking about like some of the presidential photos, George Martin, all those type of things like where I can put into Ethereum and then people can bid on them like Beatles fans or, or whatever. So that's actually a project I'm working on next just to kind of, cause I'm, I would, there, there isn't really any way to bring back the days of when people would like, for instance, when I photographed Dave Matthews band, I was thinking I could shoot him on his own. And when I did, I made a ton of money off of different magazines because he came out with a solo record the following year. No one had any photos except me. So I was able to sell, sell and resell those images to everyone from playboy magazine to people. And there used to be great power in owning things based on the resale. And it just went away, you know, with the internet, people stealing images, social media, no one really cares anymore. No one wants to pay for stuff. Stock uh, agencies have all but gone to the way of like music did with downloading and all that type of stuff with Napster. It's the same for imagery. So this is a way with blockchain and that type of thing where you can actually put the power back into the content creator or image makers hands to where you can load these images and create a, or mint a piece of worth, I guess is the best, like it's cause it's really air, you know, when you get down to it, all that Bitcoin and all that type of stuff, it's air, but you can assign a digital image to that now. And so it's gonna It could very well change the industry as we know it. Sounds really interesting. It is. I'm not even, don't even have my head wrapped around it fully yet, but I've got somebody on it that's working with me on it to try to get this thing figured out that's wonderful it's amazing stuff now i just have one last question for a wrap up sure, it's gonna be a tough sure. one for you it's a, a personal question just to get to know you just a little bit better so you're going to be on an island for the rest of your life you can only bring one book one album and one movie what would they be the book would be the last of the really great wang doodles it was written by julie andrews under a surname and it's a been a it's stupid it's kind of like willy wonka and the chocolate factory but she wrote this under a surname so people would know who she was 
and it's connected to Willy Wonka. Actually, there are characters in her book that are connected to Willy Wonka and her love for Roald Dahl. Uh, that would be the book. It's just a dumb childhood book that I've loved <laughs> for nice. years, years and years. Uh, the album would be In Rainbows by Radiohead. I never get sick of it. I can listen to it a million times and I'll never get sick of it. And what was the other one? Uh, the movie. The movie. It, that one depends on what day of the week you ask me. But for right <laughs> now, I would say I would say Stranger Than Fiction by, with Will Ferrell and Dustin Hoffman. I love that movie so much. It just means a lot to me right now. Awesome. That's great stuff, Alan. How do people reach out, connect with you, and learn more? Well, um, the best way to do it, obviously, is still websites still work uh, as long as you make them work for you. Uh, but you can just go to alanclarkphotography.com and Alan's spelled like a last, everything I have, I've got a name that is both first and last name. So it's A-L-L-E-N, Clark Noe, alanclarkphotography.com. And with that, you can go to the coaching page and see some of the coaching stuff. I help other photographers with their careers. And it's all about, with me, I teach photographers and artists the why part of what they're doing. So they're not wasting their life, wasting their time on doing things they don't want to do. That's what we focus on with that career coaching type of thing. And then, um, just to hire me, uh, you know, you can go to the main website and look at that. You can look up all the different amazing and interesting photos. I actually have a celebrity section on there. You can go check out and it's just, you know, it's, it's, I'm at that different stage of life where, you know, you start thinking about words like legacy and things like that. And I'm really enjoying doing workshops. Um, you know, when we can get back out with everybody, that's, that's stuff I'll be doing. I've got one coming up in Japan and, and so, you know, I really, we're all excited to get back and mix it up with everybody once COVID is over, at least contained. But until then, we're doing them online. We're doing them on Zoom. We're doing them on crowd, you know, Crowdcast and all the different little ways you can do it. And so you can just reach out to me through the site and DM me, and I will write you back. Alan, it's been amazing. Listen, have a great rest of the day. Keep on rocking in the free world and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for this. This has been fun. Yeah, you got it, sir. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.